You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing, bringing the croakiest voices as well today. Apologies for that. Tom Stanley in for Nick and uh, plenty to discuss as ever. It is Wednesday the 15th of December. That means if you're going racing today, there is new COVID certification required. Rishi Passad, my guest, and I'll be reflecting on that uh, later on. Uh, we'll be talking about some quite visceral reaction to the Bryony Frost interview across um, different media forms yesterday. That was the the Sun interview that she, she put out yesterday that David Yates and Nick Luck discussed at length on this very podcast. But we start with news that her judge has found in favour of Tattersall's in the case against Tom George and agent Alex Elliott. Rishi, tell us a little bit more. Hi Tom, yeah. Uh, This has obviously been mentioned a few times on uh, Nick Luck Daily. Um, It is the case uh, involving Alex Elliott and Tom George and the purchase of lariats and the horse had breathing issues. Um, Basically Alex Elliott signed for the for the, the horse uh, out of Andrew Balding's yard on instruction from Tom George. Subsequent tests were carried out, uh, pointed to breathing issues. Well, the, uh, the case was heard over three days in London and the result of the case is that uh, Tats, the Telesols has won. Um, and uh, obviously the, the, the result is that um, Alex Elliott and Tom George are gonna end up being liable. I mean, the cost, is going to be more than the 95,000 that the, the horse costs. So ultimately, there'll be uh, further costs to be determined, determined at, a, at a later date. Um, there are a couple of points that came out of the judgment, um, which I, I wanted to mention. Um, the first point is uh, the fact that the judge said that the Tattersall rules, which include their conditions of sale and policy on return, were not onerous, as the defence had indeed tried to argue. And there's a balance between the interest of both vendor and purchaser. And that, uh, that I think is reassuring for the industry to know that under scrutiny in the court of law, that those rules the Tattersalls have in place, obviously have been in place for some time, are indeed fair and just. The other interesting point that I thought came out of it was the fact that Alex Elliott's defence had tried to extricate Alex Elliott from the financial liability uh, should it be declared that payment was indeed still due, saying that it was Tom George who bore the responsibility but the judge said that without a pre-signed purchase authorization, that they, Alex Elliott and Tom George, would be jointly responsible for the purchase. And I think that sets a precedent for all buyers and agents in future to consider formal documents, uh, such as a pre-signed purchase authorization, to avoid uncertainty over responsibility um, for financial implications for the sale and purchase. Well, Emma Berry joins me now, the European editor of the Thoroughbred Daily News. And um, Emma, I, I suppose the, the, the first question to ask you is, do you feel that the judge has arrived at the correct decision in this case? I do, yes. Um, it, you know, the conditions of sale are there for everyone to read. And um, there is always a case of, you know, buyer beware when you when you buy a horse and there's always the poss- the opportunity to have a horse vetted prior to prior to bidding on him or her 
had the um, judge come down, I know this is hypothetical, but 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 in favour of, of Alex Elliott and Tom George, do you think a greater precedent would have been set going forward for, for Tattersall's and every sale house? Well, possibly. I mean, as you say, that's uh, sort of hypothetical anyway. I know that... Um, I'm sure all the sales companies are constantly looking at their conditions of sale. And I'm sure now in this case, even though the judges ruled in Tassel's favour, perhaps they will look at you know issues that, that, that this has brought to light. Maybe they'll look at a different way of approaching you know, a, a dispute in, in a wind issue. Um, I believe there is now the option that vets can uh, call on an overground endoscopy, which gives a clearer indication of a, of a horse's wind issue when you know which is taken when a horse is actually cantering so you see the you see how the how the larynx is performing you know when the horse is at exercise and that's not done at the moment you know whether that actually you know clears up the issue beyond doubt is 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 still in question i mean they may look at tinkering with some of the rules um i, I suppose the biggest issue for me will it's Alex Elliott in this case because you see all the time agents having horses knocked down for them. And in this case, it clearly says on the Tassel's return, uh, Alex Elliott for Tom George. It's clear that the horse was bought for Tom George. Um, you know, Alex has been um, involved in this perhaps to an unnecessary degree um, in that he, you know, looks over as is common practice to the person who bought the horse and. You know, they have a long-term working agreement, as I understand. Um, I think possibly agents will now have to look much more closely at having a sort of written agreement beforehand or a sort of almost like an authority to act um, and just cover themselves a bit more than they ordinarily would. You know, if you, if you work with people um, on a regular basis, you take a lot on trust. Mm-hmm. And possibly if you're working with people that you that you have a long-standing arrangement with, perhaps everything does need to be put in writing ahead of ahead of any potential purchase. Yeah, I suppose that's the interesting thing, isn't it? As you say, relationships that have been in place for, for years and so much is taken on trust, but perhaps this does change things going forward with regard to the to the nature of that relationship and it, and it's something that a piece of paper can solve. Yes, yes. And there is the there is the facility to do that, but I believe at the moment with Tassels, for example, Alex Elliott would have had to have had a written agreement lodged with Tassels a week in advance of the sale. And I think in this instance, Tom actually only asked him to bid on the horse uh, about half an hour before he went through the ring. So, you know, that wouldn't have allowed time for a vetting. That wouldn't have allowed time under Tassels' current rules for Alex to have lodged the agreement that they were going to bid on this particular lot. Um, And as I say, he was, I, I believe, signed over two days after he was sold by Alex Elliott to Tom George um, but that hasn't been enough to sort of for Alex to have been excluded from this case if you like. Uh, Rishi yesterday we had um, a big discussion on the, the podcast with David Yates and Nick Luck about the article in the Sun um, that uh, Bradley Frost had given about her, what's happened to her over the last 18 months and, and indeed the time she's had during the trial. Um, there was a lot of fallout subsequent to the article on social media. Um, notably, Tom Lacey put something on a, 
on a blog. Well, I suppose that's not social media, but there was a lot of reaction to that on, on social media. Diana Hobbs also tweeted something which garnered a good deal of mainly negative reaction, although some support for it as well. It's fair to say, Rich, that the Bryony Frost article in The Sun has more than just ruffled a few feathers from within the racing world. What do you make of it? Well, naturally, Tom, this has provoked a lot of reaction, you know, both positive and negative from those on social media, on blogs, etc., whatever. Um, people are making judgments, you know, whether she should be using the sun to tell her story. People are making judgments on whether she should just be moving on, whether she should just stop commenting. It seems to me that instead of the semantics of the article appearing in the sun, uh, we should be focusing on what she says. She was the victim of bullying. We need to hear, or we're grateful to hear from the victim of bullying, talking about the experience that we can learn from. And she said in, in that article, she said, the world I was in was, you know, simply take it on the chin, brush it under the carpet, it'll be okay in time. Um, I don't think that's the type of approach that anyone would really want to take when it comes to dealing with a problem. So the fact that she's highlighted that seems to be the approach that's been taken or was, was certainly taken with her, um, that needs to be addressed. And I think we need to focus on what she has said on how to improve the situation rather than the, the medium for the communication um, and putting our own personal prejudices to one side, shouldn't be clouding the conversation with our own cynicisms that obviously we carry around in our own personal baggage, you know. Um, and I think it's, it's more important to focus on what evidence she has provided to us about her own feelings, her own experience, and use that positively going forward. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We talk about what can we learn from this? What can we, what can we do to make the situation better? Well, here's an opportunity. Let's not get caught up in all the semantics that go around it, and let's focus on what's important. Should also be pointed out that in Tom Lacey's stable blog, he um, subsequently edited comments he'd made about Joe Davis and about Gay Kellaway as well. The fact that she was involved uh, in the um, discussion on the Bryony Frost, Robbie Dunn ruling on, on Sky Sports Racing and also him reacting to Joe Davis's comments about um, abuse that she had suffered. Are, are you surprised, Rich, at the the defensiveness from not just a single out Tom either. It's clear there's been a, been a, a lot of um, defensive comments from people within the, the racing industry. And I suppose by within the racing industry, I mean those living and, and, and working, not just within the weighing room, but within racing yards as well. Not surprised at all, Tom. And I don't say I'm not surprised in some sort of negative way. I, I say it's in a way of trying to understand that uh, people are used to a way of life and when that way of life or certainly the principles that they live by are threatened from outside, uh, self-preservation comes to the fore and self-preservation can take all different sort of forms, whether it's fleeing or running away from the problem or indeed striking back to push what's threatening you away. Um, so I can understand why people have felt uh, threatened by what has transpired from this case. And I can understand that people are trying to defend themselves and defend their way of life. Um, but I think it's 
it, it, it's it's just a, a case of asking people to take some uh, moments to think and to think about what they're saying, to think about the effect that what they're saying might have on other people. And once you do that, you, su you suddenly you start seeing a little bit more light on the situation and understanding. I mean, you know, you, you talked about Tom Lacey and the fact that he obviously said what he said in the original post and then had a moment to reflect on it, spoke to other people and changed uh, some of his, uh, some of what he'd said. Um, so I'm not surprised, um, but I think that we shouldn't, we shouldn't consider those people who have felt threatened to be entirely, uh, you know, they're, they're being entirely unreasonable. I think understanding their own point of view, understanding the point of view, if you come from an opposing side, will certainly help the conversation move forward as opposed to bickering between each other. And I think it's important to understand that you know, people do have different points of view. It may not be what we deem the correct point of view or at least the most positive way to move forward. Um, but understanding a different point of view will certainly help what you're challenged with. It was also announced yesterday, Rish, that British Racing is going to launch an industry-wide group to tackle behaviour issues in the sport. And, and it really is industry-wide. It seems that all associations, federations are coming together on this. Yeah, um, British Racing is planning on addressing behavioural issue in the sport or issues in the sport in the wake of obviously the Bryony Frost, Robbie Dunn case. And there's going to be a dedicated cross-working party to ensure that the sport remains, and I'm quoting here, a progressive modern industry when it comes to the conduct of our people. Uh, this is a result of a joint commitment, as you said, by the BHA, the NTF, the PJA, the National Association of Stable Staff, TBA and RCA. The upshot is, I think, um, they want to, uh, they aim to create a new code of conduct by the spring of 2022. They want to prioritise well-being and the development of uh, the racing workforce. Uh, they stand against discrimination and people will be asked or encouraged to highlight behaviour that falls below expectations. I mean, that's all good. My, my one point to make on this is that there are already organisations that are undertaking work in these areas for the good of racing, you know, whether it's the industry wellbeing committee that already exists or indeed the diversity and racing uh, steering group, uh, which suggests to me that albeit with the benefit of hindsight, that perhaps with a bit more strategic coordination, um, we could have got to this point already, you know, as a, as a cohesive industry, yet it's always in the wake of something negative that racing then comes together to stand together. But hopefully this case will at least point us in the right direction now. And let's try not to, to wait for something bad to happen again to get these systems in place. If you are going racing today, or indeed uh, from today onwards, there are new regulations in place which you uh, have to fulfil in order to gain entry to the race course. Um, I know you talked about this with, with Nick last week, and um, this is because of the, the government rule change. It's for fixtures which are going to feature more than 4,000 people. I, I suppose mainly um, it brings our attention to the big meetings in the lead up to Christmas and of course, King George meeting at, at, at Kempton on Boxing Day. And with a, a sincere hope that nothing else changes before then and now, but we have to just take everything day by day, Rishi. Well, that, that is exactly it, I think, Tom. It's a question of just waiting for things to unfold because so much of what's happening is completely out of our control. You know, people you know, in the past when we were trying to get race courses uh, back uh, to capacity, um, people were having a go at the BHA for, for not doing more. Well, you know, the BHA can only control what they can control. They can't control the government's rules and the government are the ones who are dictating what's going on. And 
obviously today sees this new introduction of uh, some of the rules that already existed, but you know things like uh, your vaccination pass or lateral flow tests become uh, a requirement, face coverings indoors, etc. We are only going to know how this is going to affect you know attendances, hospitality, etc. By the way it plays out, if people have got used to being uh able to produce these things when when they need to like i think i think the majority of us have i mean i certainly have um you know in the last 12 to 18 months whatever is required you you do because it's just become a necessity so we're only going to know what effect it has once it plays out in the next few weeks but as you also alluded to you know things could possibly change again beyond what they've already changed to starting from today so we have to just kind of go go with the flow and, and hope that uh, things are going to get better and ultimately in hopefully sooner rather than later we'll be able to to return to something like normality or at least what we're experiencing a, a, a couple of weeks ago mm. go with the lateral flow <laughs> nice <laughs> why well, i don't know why i'm wasting my my, my vocal energy on, on jokes it's completely nonsensical <laughs> Right, the meetings at Haydock and Ascot take centre stage this weekend. Ollie Murphy has a good few exciting runners, and I caught up with him earlier on, starting with the likely run of Thomas Darby. Yeah, he was good at Newbury the last day. Um, first time I fit him with a tongue strap, so hopefully he'll have the, the, the same desired effect on Saturday. But uh, listen, it looks competitive. Um, he's a seven or eight to one shot. Hopefully he's a good each way chance. We'll look forward to running him. So, so was, was that the key, do you think, the, the tongue strap, or, or was it also you know, a, a, a well-run race over three miles? Yeah, I'd say a strongly run race helped him, and hopefully that tongue tie just helped him that little bit as well. So, uh, yeah, everyone, everyone went right for him. Um, I thought he won very well at the line, and uh, I'd be really interested to see him take on plenty of those again. Obviously, he came to, to the staying division late last year, given that he tried at an entry. You, you, you've had a clear crack at three miles from the start of this season. D- has that made a difference, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think he's been crying out for a trip. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, a big plus for him. He was just getting run off his feet at, at two and a half. So, uh, yeah, he seems a better horse at three, and hopefully that will carry on being the case. What, what ground-wise, do you, do you just want similar to Newbury last time, yeah, or, or is he I versatile? Hope, I just hope it's not kind of holding sticking ground like it was in uh, Weatherby. That's the only thing I wouldn't want it to be. But, uh, yeah, he handles top ground fine as long as he can get through it. And uh, hopefully a strong run race, he'll, uh, he'll have a good trade chance. And did he need the run at Weatherby? I don't think he did. I, Sean Byrne just thought he hated the ground. So uh, it was very sticky and holding that day. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's the excuse we had anyway. But... Mm. Uh, yeah, all went well at, at Newbury and uh, hopefully everyone can, uh, everyone can go well again Saturday. All right, Calypso Colonge, Tommy Whittle, lines up. Yeah, hadn't, run, hadn't won an awful long time since winning in Kelso the last day. Loves heavy ground, stays really well. Fergus Gregory gets on well with him and uh, yeah, he's gone up a few pounds the handicap. He's not getting any younger, but at those staying marathon trips now, he's, he, he's a consistent he's type. He's run well in the race before and yeah, I don't see any reason why he couldn't run a big race. Yeah, he was second a couple of years ago, wasn't he? That, that form that's, that's worked out pretty well. Is he, a, is he a better horse now? Is he a stronger stayer now? Yeah, I think he could well be. Um, he used to be very keen. Um, the hood's now come off him. We're able to ride him more positively as well. So, uh, yeah, I think he's matured uh, in his in his older age. Um, loves heavy ground. Um, touch with jumps great. And, uh, yeah, look forward, to, look forward to running him. You got two entered in the uh, two-mile-three handicap hurdle. McElduff heads, heads the anti-post market. Is he a likely runner? 
Yes, I would imagine he definitely will run. He's got a lovely weight at the bottom of the the bottom of the weights. Um, they went very steady in Cheltenham on his last start. It didn't suit him. He stayed going well. Uh, his his long term target is the Lanzarote. I think we need to go a few pounds to get in. So uh, really look forward to running him. The trip would be on the sharp side, but uh, I think heavy ground will just slow everyone down. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to running him. And Lord of Karak is is not such a likely runner, but a maybe is he? Yeah, he's done. He's not a bad horse. He's undergone a serious wind operation. Um, he's not a definite runner, but he, he has a chance of running. Um, loves soft ground. It'll be a seasonal reappearance. We've been waiting for the heavens to open. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all now if he ran very well. Um, he ran. I'm looking forward to running him, um, and I'll be really interested to see what uh, what effect the wind operations have. And lastly, yeah, Fergus Gregory's jocked up on Michael Duff. I don't know if that's he's definitely going to partner him, but you must have been delighted for Fergus to ride out his claim. Yeah, very proud of him. Um, been with me since pretty much day one. So, uh, yeah, fully fledged jockey now, and he's going to have to have to keep improving. Um, he's uh, a, a really good guy. Um, works really hard, struggles with his weight a little bit, but he's got that under control now. And uh, hopefully, he'll start getting more opportunities elsewhere. He'll carry on being supported by me, and uh, hopefully, he can keep stepping up the ladder. Hong Kong now, as it's Wednesday. Jim McGrath, as ever, is along to preview racing, also to reflect on high drama at Shartin. Nick, I have to admit, a chill ran down my back when I saw the four-horse pile up at Sha Tin on Sunday. To happen in any race is terrible, but when it occurs in a sprint race, when the fastest horses at the meeting are tearing around the final bend, it is horrific. That all four jockeys escaped with injuries that were not life-threatening is a miracle. Full credit to the Hong Kong Jockey Club's medical team, who are quickly attending to the injured jockeys. As for the horses, sadly we lost Jimmy Ting's best horse, Amazing Star, who was the first to fall, and Nabu Attack, potentially the best in David Hayes' stable as well. Zach Purton is going to be out for two to four weeks. He fractured four ribs, injured his wrist and broke his nose. Lyle Hewitson, he'll be sidelined for some time, and Yuichi Fukunaga, has been flown home to Japan to recuperate. Karis Teton walked away and rode a winner later in the day. A very lucky man. In fact, they all were. Race falls on the flat are not a common occurrence, as we know, but when they happen, you are always on alert. The chill down my back on Sunday was not just fearing for the four jockeys and horses, but also the memory of the loss of Brian Taylor, the Derby-winning jockey at the same December meeting on the same track back in 1984. I know it was 37 years ago, but it is still clear in my mind. A horse called Silver Star dropped his shoulder and pitched Brian headfirst into the turf. He stood no chance. He died from his injuries two days later. The same horse had maimed top French jockey Philippe Paquet in a morning gallop only 10 months earlier. For younger listeners, Brian Taylor was a top jockey in his time and very popular. Regularly in the top five in Britain, he'd ridden Snow Knight to win the derby at Epsom in 1974 and he was only 45 when he died. Let's hope we can turn the page and look ahead. There are so many good things happening in Hong Kong racing. Following the events on Sunday, today's Happy Valley fixture might seem run-of-the-mill but there are some good betting opportunities just the same. I like a horse called You're My Everything.
to be ridden by Jerry Chow for Tony Cruz in a Class 3 handicap over 1650 metres. Race 7, number 3, You're My Everything. Take him in a tote swinger with 7, Exceptional Nice and 5, Turin Red Star. And in the last race, I've selected Party Warrior to oblige for Vincent Ho and Francis Louis, the Golden 60 team. That's all for now. I'll have more on the Hong Kong beat next week. Rishi, all that's left is for you to send us away with a winner. The floor is yours. I really hope it's a winner, Tom, because I've got a tiny little share in a horse running today at Kempton in the 6.45 uh, cash machine. He was pretty smart early on. He had some useful form with some decent horses, um, then lost his way a little bit. And then uh, he was gelded before his uh, comeback run last time. And he also had a bit of headgear on. I think the headgear probably didn't suit him, but the headgear is taken off today and it was a much better run last time. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity. So cash machine, 6.45 at Kempton, fingers crossed. Rishi, very best of luck with that. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Nick will be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.